0: Listen. You can take a seat, but um, I want us. I think um, during this entire service to to understand that in worship, God is um, is calling us to stay in a posture of worship and. Uh, and this morning as we continue our series start here we've been walking through kind of what are the fundamental convictions here at Christ Church we talked in our first week about our mission being sharpened and that we exist to glorify God by loving God loving others and making disciples of all nations and and then we started unpacking our pillars which really are, our key foundations, and uh, that is bold preaching week one, fervent prayer, uh, last week, and this week we're going to talk about passionate worship. So I don't want you to come out of a a, a time of singing and think, okay, well we just left worship and now we're going to go to the teaching of God's word. No, let's remember and be reminded that worship encompasses all of our lives. All of our lives. Every part of what we do in our lives should be postured as worship when we respond rightly to God. And so uh, today, uh, to give us a a clear understanding of that and to understand um, how God wants us to be in worship, um, get your Bibles open to Psalm 95. And uh, this psalm is going to prepare our hearts Uh, for what is going to be a time of communion at the end of our service and then um, some more worship because uh, we're learning uh, together and uh, then we want to respond rightly at the end of our service. So uh, let's just pray before we jump into Psalm 95. God, thank you. Thank you for your word that's opened in front of us. It is a holy word. It has been breathed out by you uh, through um, human agents who wrote them wrote the words down and we have it and we trust it and we want it to speak over our lives that we might be changed and transformed that we might align ourselves rightly with what you call us to and today I pray that you would help us to understand what it looks like to live out of um, and to uh, see from our lives an offering given to you that is both passionate and worship. And so together, God, would you strengthen that pillar in our church even today uh, through our faithful listening and hearing your word and being obedient to it for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, hey, I want you to know that um, if I was to sum up the the thing that I long for, not only in my own life but in your life, that I really in a lot of ways always want to be thinking about how, how do we... Um, what is the purpose, why are we meeting together, why are we gathering together, why do we do the things that we're doing, if I was to give you uh, what I really want you to take hold of in your life, and honestly in mine, is I want you to take hold of what the Bible says and seek to live it out, just as authentically and rightly as we can. I, I want us to be a people, I want to be a person that, that, that presses into the elements of the gospel message and, and doesn't just know them, but wants to embody the message, wants to live it out. I, I want to see people um, recognize the insufficiency of religiosity and tradition or, or really anything else that the world would offer. I want us to long for more than just the knowledge of God. I want us to to, to crave and to desire intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. Passionate worship. Psalm 95 is going to lead us there. It's going to introduce it. It's going to clarify some things for us. But it's going to get us right to the doorway. And I promise you that when we close in the way we're going to close the service, you're going to have some key things that God's Word's taught you. But to step up forward into passionate worship is going to be a decision that each person individually has to make so um, the big move what we're chasing after it's been you know not clever but i hope a clear is uh, the big move is simply this worship with passion if passionate worship is our pillar let's keep it really simple Uh, the move we're going after is to worship with passion see it for yourself in psalm 95 here we go eyes on god's word O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And in in his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Before I, before I unpack what worship means, let me just look at a few uh, definitions. Um, I asked uh, Chris and Lauren, who lead us so often in worship, just to give me like, give me your best definition of worship. And uh, Lauren wrote this down. She said, submitting our mind's attention and heart's affection to the wonder and worth of a holy God. Chris sent me a quote from one of his uh, favorite writers on worship, Bob Coughlin, and he said, biblical worship is God's covenant people recognizing worship reveling in and responding rightly to the glory of God in Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And worship, this picture of it is beautiful. And both of those uh, definitions, and there's many other really good definitions that attempt to summarize what worship is biblically. But what I want you to note first is this. Worship is significantly more than just singing songs at church. I think sometimes we tend to minimize worship in that way because worship is this. Worship is all of a person's life bowed before God in submission. You see it through Psalm 95. We we worship not just in the songs we sing. We worship in the way we obey God. We worship in the way we give generously. We worship in the way that we love God and love others. In every part of life is worship. And it's clear in Psalm 95, and and so from this psalm, I I want us to look at three essential elements of biblical worship. Three essential elements. If we want to enter into a passionate worship, if we want to worship with passion, these elements will always play out. So the first one is this. Worship starts by believing right truth about God. Worship starts by believing right truth about God. I mean, look look in the passage First off, he designates God the one he's worshiping. He's like, let us sing to the Lord. The word Lord is a a reference that designates that I am in submission to. He's the one leading my life. He's the one directing it. He's the Lord. We're invited into his presence, and let me assure you that if you're invited into the presence of a holy God, there is so much truth about God to be known His power, His holiness, the grace that would allow Him to even allow you into His presence. The forgiveness that's required for that to be an invitation is is, is awesome to consider. He says He's a great God. If God wasn't enough, He's like, listen, if I was to um, look at all of the attributes of God, here's what I'll tell you. Great. Great. Don't you love those summary words, just try to capture The the, the, the fact that it almost can't be captured. He also, then he goes on, he says, a great king above all gods. A great king, this picture of authority. He's beyond comprehension. As he begins to unpack his, his, his hand or the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. It's just like you can't even capture it. You also get a picture that he's creator. That he made these things, he formed them. We also get this picture of how personal he is. Because he says that we're the sheep of his pasture. And we're, we're called not to harden our hearts, but to hear his voice. Worship starts by believing right truth about God. It's ascribing right truth. Do you guys ever remember in school when you used to get the, um, the matching test? How many remember the matching test, right? Here's a common one you might have faced in elementary school, the capitals. Okay, so Chris put this slide together for me, so I'm really hoping he got these right because, you know, when the test is put in front of you, you get all these capitals and the states, and then what you have to do is you have to get your pen or pencil out, and you have to match it up to make sure you get it right. You have to actually write it down and communicate this. You can't just be like, yeah, I agree. That's all the capitals of those states. You can't do that. You'll flunk the test but you've got to actually write from one of the capitals to the states. Here's the answer, and this is what happens right when we do this. And uh, I, I checked um, the score. Chris got 100%, so you can congratulate him later for that. And, um, and so, so when, you've, when you've ascribed rightly, you've got this, and that would be 100%. So worship starts with matching the correct attributes to God. And so what you have here in this next uh, slide is you've got the attributes on the left side that we know in Scripture, and you've got God on the other side. But let me just encourage us that this is not an academic exercise. This is a spiritual exercise of our faith, our lives, ascribing these words that can be understood and defined the independent of God. So we can say, hey, you know, these words, they show up in the Bible. I even know something about the definition of these words. But there's a substantial difference between putting those words on the same page as God. And then when you ascribe worth to God, now what happens is this. The move here in worship is that when worship starts, what it is, is it's the pen of your heart and mind and soul drawing a connection between the Word and the person of God. It's not just that those words are in the Bible, it's that I believe, I'm ascribing, I'm believing that God is holy. Worship starts when we believe, when the when the pen of our heart Of our hearts is is, is taking, is is looking at the word and our understanding of it, even though it's imperfect, and pulling that to God and going, I believe that to be true about God. Worship starts when we start to make these connections between right truths and we actually believe that they're talking about God. That's a scripture. On Tuesday morning, I was um, thinking about this message and sitting at my desk and Um, I was listening to worship songs, as I often do um, in my office, often so loud that I'm positive other people are like, okay, we know exactly what Brian's listening to. And uh, I heard this line from a song. It goes like this. I know you by a thousand names, and you deserve every single one who's heard this song. It's a great song by Sean Curran out right now. You have given me a million ways to be amazed at what you have done. And in that moment, I was like just, I was stirred by that line. It just, it just captured me. It, it was that moment where you just go, oh. And there was an emotion that came with that, and there was a belief that was affirming that, and I was like, why the response? Well, why did this cause a response? Why do worship songs cause this response in me? It was written by somebody else. It, They're not, they're not my words. and, and I had this moment of worship in response to these lyrics because I believe that about God. I believe that about God. I'm not reading something that someone else wrote and went like, "Oh, that's really nice. It's so great how they love God. I've drawn the line between the names of God and the person of God, and I believe that to be true. I have ascribed that to God um, thousands of times in different ways at different degrees. In addition, I've connected a million of my ways to God's work in my life. I believe these right truths about God. It's not just someone else's song lyrics, it's mine. They're mine. Because I believe that to be true about God. Worship starts by believing right truth about God. The psalmist is pointing again and again to the character of God. He's rallying God's people together because he wants them to see the attributes of God and he's encouraging them. Sing it out ascribe it, make the connection yourself. And each and every day in the way that we worship will be a declaration, do I know these things about God or have I ascribed them to God in my life presently? And that's where worship starts, by believing right truths about God. It's aligning your understanding and perspective on all aspects of life based on what you know to be true about God in Scripture. We, we want to believe God's word. We want to embody it in our lives. And part of that is by ascribing it to God. Live out what scripture teaches. Worship with passion. Worship starts by believing right truth about God. Then this next one. Believing right truth about God stirs a passionate response. Now what I what I promise you is, is that uh, Psalm 95 was not an invitation just for only the exuberant extroverts to gather together. Okay? Like, lo- look at the passionate response being called, uh, God's people are being called to this passionate response. First, like, it starts with, do you notice the pronoun there in the first verse? It's like, oh, come, it's not, oh, come, let me sing to the Lord as though this is happening privately. This is not happening like it was for me on Tuesday morning in, in my office by myself. This is like, no, 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 no. God's calling us. It's a rallying together of us. And wherever there's more people gathered, there's an increase in the passionate response that comes. Because we stir one another up. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to stir one another up. And so you've got God's people together. They're rallying together to stir one another up. Then it says here in verse 2, it's like, let us make a joyful noise. A joyful noise. Like a noise, okay? Like that means there's something audible coming out of your life, out of your mouth when it comes to worship. It's also thankful. If you've ever um, had a a sort of moment where somebody thanked you for something and you were kind of like, hmm, I'm not sure they were really thankful. It's because if you thank somebody without some degree of passion, it seems very inauthentic. Thanks for that. People are like, <laughs> I'm not sure that you're thankful. Because when we express thankfulness, it's like, hey, thank you so much for doing that or saying that. That means a lot to me. It's not reflected necessarily in the volume of your voice, but there's a sincerity that is a noise that showcases that you really are thankful. It's passionate response. It's also with song, it's clearly here songs of praise and i just want to note here like i music is powerful music's powerful and i think as i've studied and been encouraged by the work of music throughout scripture and the encouragement to engage in songs of praise there one of the things that many have noted before me about music is is that um, many believe that the reason why songs of praise w- were encouraged from God's people is because uh, music is memorable. It, you, know, you know those songs you just can't get out of your head, the annoying ones? Well, songs of worship are the ones we love to have rolling over our minds and our hearts. In addition, what music gives us is it gives us space for emotion. Music is without question something that stirs deep, deep emotion within us. A variety of emotions. Also, in humility is a passionate response. Bowed down, kneeling, submitted, surrendered. You see that here. Passionate response is the exaltation of my entire life before God. And, and, and it should be a, a passionate response. You should have a sense that worship is sort of like just growing. And it's sort of expanding and conquering and encompassing and spreading throughout your life worship. And if that's the case, then I have to ask us a question. Is your response to God in worship growing in passion? Just think about that question, and you've got to answer that before the Lord. Is your response to God in worship growing in passion? why do we respond passionately in in so many areas of life but 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 so many times i i, I know that there is almost like this hesitation in worship like I, I can't give it the same passionate response that i give to other areas in my life like like for instance last week um my hometown team the chiefs um had a phenomenal game miraculous win and at the conclusion of that game there was a substantial amount of loud joyful noises in my home it may have led to me and my sons running outside into the snow yelling and I may have done a snow angel in the driveway as a response to the game maybe maybe there aren't there is no video of that thankfully see our culture approves a passionate response to sports we see it all the time and we watch it and we're just like yeah they're celebrating their team won We accept also a passionate response to new relationships, new babies, graduations, job promotions, and a host of other things. Those are the things most liked and affirmed on social media, but then we enter into worship with hesitation. What is wrong? Why? Why do we hesitate with passion? Are we we more concerned about what people around us are going to think than what God thinks? Maybe it's because you've been told at some point in your life, in the context of the church, that um, emotion is not welcome in worship. Or even worse, that you've been actually in a culture around worship where you've been prohibited from raising your hands or clapping. That is absurd. Let me, just, let me just give you a really simple illustration to recognize the absurdity of that in worship. Like, to, to restrain people in the worship of their father who is, if you understand the gospel and believe the things the Bible says about God, have completely transformed every aspect of your life. It would be like withholding back passion in worship, prohibiting it of any way, would be, would be like, like a father coming home and his child, like exuberantly running to him with his hands up, and somebody being like, "No, no, 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 no! Too much emotion. Too much emotion." You get down on your knees, like, "Listen, listen, child. Um, that is that is that is the wrong type of emotion. Don't don't raise your hands. That's that's too much. It would be overwhelming to your father to raise your hands and show that you're dependent and that you love him and that your affection is towards him. Hold it back, emotion. No." That's absurd. I would never do that to any one of my children when I walk in the door at the end of the day. I might be really tired, and that's at at the point at which I go, I'm not God. But God is, and He's always ready to receive you. And there shouldn't be this reality that we hold back in our expression of worship. Also, also, the other thing that could play out in our hesitation is sometimes hesitation comes from the shame and the guilt that you feel, and I get it. There's weeks that you walk in, and it's been a hard week, and maybe it's the circumstances around your life, or, or maybe it's the reality of sin in your life in this past week, and God's doing some work, and you just, you just feel like, this is I don't feel like I can even stand up in church. When you think like that, you're not thinking through the lens of the gospel. Because if you come into this place, at any point in your life, and want to worship God. Listen, Jesus already paid for it all. He already paid for it all. The only move you need to make to exuberantly and passionately respond to God in worship is you need to say, God, I repent of that. I know it's wrong. I want to walk forward by faith in you. Please meet me in worship and fill me with passion. And in that moment, you have accessed everything that Christ has already accomplished for you. And you can worship passionately. Don't let that hold you back. (laughs) Yes, I, I gave a passionate response after the Chiefs won. I love cheering for my favorite team. But that's just one game on one day. It is one very small part of my life. If you follow my life, the aim of my entire life is to passionately worship my God as imperfectly and broken and messed up and blind as I am in so many areas of my life still to today, God's sanctifying work has consistently brought me to a place where I see him more clearly, love him more deeply, and want to passionately love him. And, and, And listen, listen, at times it is a quiet affection steadying my life when I'm feeling the weight of anxiety or fear. At other moments, it's tears running down my face as God is convicting me and wrestling his righteousness into me through the work and the power of his spirit. And sometimes it is, it is exuberant joy as I'm just reveling in the victory of what Jesus accomplished for me in the gospel. And, 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 and the volume is different. The emotion varies, but it's always passionate. Passionate. It's always passionate or longing for passion. If you really recognize who God is, it will stir up passion. You'll want more of him in your life. The passion of your worship will grow wherever faith is taking hold of God's revelation. Note that. The passion of your worship will grow wherever faith is taking hold of God's revelation. This is another way of saying what I said in the first point. At Christ Church, we're going we're to call you again and again to passionate worship all the time. Not just in singing, but in every part of your life. But especially in corporate worship when we're gathered together. And, and listen, I, I'm sorry. There, there's no other way we can, we can go after this than, uh, than to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to press into this more and more. And you know what that means? That means that every once in a while the drummer might get a bit excited on the drums. Okay? I'm sorry. They, they really love Jesus. Sometimes it means that a worship leader in an authentic moment is going to have to step away from the mic because what God's doing in their life is going to cause such emotion that they can't even continue to sing. It means that we're going to invite people to come forward and to kneel, just like we see here in Psalm 95. It means we're going to raise our hands and clap because that's a reflection of right worship. Listen, okay, so, so there, there, is, there is limits. Like, what we're not gonna do is we're not gonna run up and down the aisle and start screaming completely out of order in such a way that draws attention to ourselves. Listen to this. We will avoid drawing attention to ourselves, but we will not stop drawing attention to the glory and goodness of our God, amen? We want each and every person that's a part of this church to be growing in their passion, to declare what they believe about God, both in corporate worship and in every area of their life. And I want want you to remember this. Passionate worship is always seen more clearly from the frequency of your submission than from the volume of your singing. This, this, This helps us be reminded that If the volume of my singing is not coming from the frequency of my submission, there is something wrong. And so let's just be clear that as I work between worship as our whole life and worship as singing and corporate worship, this is a a, a guiding principle in all things. Passionate worship is seen more clearly from the frequency of your submission than the volume of your singing. Believing right truth about God stirs a passionate response. Worship with passion and then finally this worship protects my heart from pride i gotta be honest when i first studied this psalm as i was unpacking it um i was really confused by verses 8 through 11 did you guys notice that when i was reading the psalm did anybody else just kind of go we seem to be headed in a direction and then we went a complete different direction right anybody with me anybody else confused by that I was, and I saw this verses one through seven, I was like, sweet. Like, invitation to worship. And I got to eight and eight through eleven. I gotta be honest, I almost was just like, let's just teach one through seven. Okay. I have moments of fear also. And that's where I was at, and and I was just looking at it. And as I started studying it, at first I was like, is is this a separate psalm? Is there supposed to be 151 Psalms? Like maybe they just got the numbering wrong. Or, Or 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 like. Because I got to the end and I, I, all I could think of was the psalmist just got a little cranky at the end. He gets in he, after this awesome explanation of, of encouraging people to worship. And then he's like, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah. And then at the end, it ends with, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I'm like, not your best ending. And then I studied it for a little bit longer. And I started to make some connections biblically that I hadn't seen before. And it kind of came together and so I want to take you on the trip that I took to understand this more clearly because what I found at the end is that um, one of the elements of worship is to protect my heart from pride and one of the aspects of pride that God's protecting me from in worship is so that the pride of my life will not lead me into the wilderness away from God. And, and that, it, that if I'm led away into the wilderness of God I will not find the rest that God offers me in worship. So let me unpack this. I want you to see the picture first. Verse 7 sort of sets it up. The followers of God identify themselves as sheep. That's the important first step. Because if we're sheep, we have to listen to the shepherd. And worship here is a lifestyle. Notice that's a lifestyle of, of identifying as sheep and then submitting our lives to the shepherd. And that is where you find rest. When the sheep are submitted to the shepherd. Think about Psalm 23 and all it says about rest. And the whole image is of the sheep being submitted to the shepherd. And coming under the leadership and the care of the great shepherd. And then we get to verses 8 through 11. And and I want you to know it will become more clear when you understand that what the psalmist is referring to is something that for us and for me I, I didn't recognize at first. But any Israelite that would have heard this would have immediately recognized the reference to Exodus 17. Exodus 17, at this point in Exodus, um, the people of, of, of Israel have already been led out of the slavery of Egypt. God's led them by pillars of fire and by clouds, miraculous leadership. Then they went through the parting of the Red Sea into the desert Once in the desert, God had provided miraculously for them food and drink, and he was leading them to the promised land where they would finally find rest. And at one point on the trip, in Exodus 17, they don't have any water. And so the people start grumbling. The Israelites are kind of famous for grumbling, like, ugh. So that's the tone of what I'm about to read. Exodus 17, 2 through 3. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Do you see what's happening in Exodus 17 in Psalm 95? So the grumbling continues, and then then it's this from the people. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And they were so stirred up that it says after that that Moses was actually afraid that they were going to stone him. That's how bad it got. And he prays for wisdom from God. And then Exodus 17, 7, it's going to all come together here and be more clear. It says there, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. There's the reference. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? See, the Israelites knew the truth about who God was, they knew what he had just done in their life. And in this moment, despite all of that, they persisted in unbelief and pride had fundamentally formed in their heart and they thought it was better for them to go back to Egypt than to put their faith and believe in what God had already shown to them in hundreds of ways. And so God shows his wrath And he resists his people in their pride. And he resists people in their pride when they know what God has done, but they refuse to follow. And so, as a result, the Israelites, um, because of their unbelief, were punished. God, uh, actually, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and every one of the people who had persisted in unbelief died in that wilderness, in that desert land, wandering for 40 years, never entering into the rest. That God had promised them in the promised land. So, do you see the connection now between the rest here in Psalm 95 and this story? And this lesson um, is referred back to, has a lesson in Psalm 95 to warn against pride. Pride is what keeps someone from believing right truth about God, pride is what keeps someone from passionately responding in worship. And all of that pride leads you away from rest. Now, I'm not even done with Exodus 17, because what you need to understand here is is that Exodus 17 is used again in the New Testament. Now let's bring it right into our time post-cross, after Jesus has come, his death and his resurrection, Hebrews 3 and 4. Again, the warning is given to God's people again. Don't let pride keep you from believing what is true about Jesus now. Don't be deceived by sin. Look at Hebrews 4:7. We've we've now heard this, this is the third time we've heard this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Then in Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Church, church, listen, listen. The fall there, fall by the same sort of disobedience is a reference back to Exodus 17 and the punishment of the people falling in the wilderness because their disobedience led them away from God's promised land. And into God's wrath. And so, so for us, though, the rest that's promised is not a land anymore. It's, It's not some sacred place that's been allocated for his people. The rest that the people of God this side of the cross are invited to is found in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And listen, listen, look at this. Jesus proclaimed this. It's all going to be clear here. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29. Look what Jesus said. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? It's rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what, church? Rest for your souls. And at this point, when I had sort of connected the dots through, through, through all of Scripture and seen Exodus 17 and Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 and 4, and, and as, I, as I considered all of this, what I realized was this, rest is found in the worship of God. The rest that our souls long for is found in the worship of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has invited us to this and we believe right truths about God. And so we let those truths stir within us a passionate response. And church, the reason why I so long for us to grow in our worship is because worship protects your heart from pride. And when your heart is protected from pride, you're not, like the Israelites, going to wander off into the wilderness of your sin, facing God's rejection and opposition and wrath. But because of what Jesus Christ has done in worship, we are welcomed in, forgiven, invited back to the promised land that is now not a land but a person. And we find in Jesus Christ, rest for our souls. And so worship protects our heart from pride, the pride that can lead us into the wilderness. And instead, we're going to uh, a journey together to the promised land of the gospel where Jesus is ruling and reigning, where we are bowing down and worshiping, and their church is where you find rest for your souls. I just want you to know today that if, you, um, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that, that he loves you. He loves you. And, and, and the, the gospel invites the whole world to find rest in Jesus Christ and what he's done. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, because of his death for your sin and his sacrifice, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, um, you can do that now just by repenting, saying, I'm turning away from my own life. I don't want to wander in the wilderness anymore. I want to find rest in the promised land. And so repent and believe. And, the, and just that move takes you from the wilderness and moves you right to the promised land. With God's arms around you and you can find rest for your souls. Repent and believe. And if you make that decision this morning and that's a move that you're ready to make in your life, please tell someone about it. Please come talk to us. We'd love to continue to encourage your faith. But for the saints, for those of us who have been following God, maybe for a few weeks or a few months or for years or even decades, we have to continue, as Hebrews encourages us, to strive to enter the rest that Jesus offers. We have to make sure our hearts aren't hardened. We have to make sure that pride isn't welling up within our hearts because the same pride and unbelief towards God that we see in Exodus 17 and in Psalm 95 and in Hebrews can still exist in our hearts towards Jesus. Jesus knew our hearts needed to be protected from pride. That's why he encouraged us to worship. In addition, Jesus in his wisdom knew that there needed to be a regular moment in the practice of the church gathering where we would come and we would remember the truths about the gospel so that In recognizing those truths, we could then see our pride and the places where our heart is not grabbing hold of those truths and we could remember and repent and and reach out by faith and take hold of those truths again. And that's why he gave us communion. That's why he gave us communion. Communion is where we remember the truths of the gospel and we declare our belief in them again. In communion is where we confess our our pride and show humility towards God. Worship and communion protects my heart from pride. And in a few moments, the trays are going to be passed. And I want you to take the two cups stacked on top of each other. They're the symbols of Christ's sacrifice. His, the bread, a symbol of his body broken for you. The blood, a symbol of his uh, blood poured out for you. And I want you to take the elements only if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But here's how sufficient Jesus' death was. If moments ago, When I called you to repent and believe, if in that moment you made that decision like you never have before, the communion is open for you because you've accessed what has already been fully accomplished in Christ. And so as as it's passed, I want you to take hold of it if you're a believer. If not, let it pass. And I want you to hold on to the elements. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to quietly play under this moment as communion is served to every person in this room. Who wants it and as you wait or even as you hold the communion elements I want you to ask God to reveal to you where pride exists in your life look for places where you lack rest look for places where you have anxiety about the future look for maybe places in your life where you're failing to repent and turn from sin Places where you have broken relationships, where walls are up and bitterness has set in, and you're not striving for peace. Any place where you're grumbling with God is a place of pride, where you could be hard-hearted. Confess your pride to Jesus and repent. And just take hold of these elements, and then we're going to do something together after everyone's been served. Ushers, you can begin to hand out communion now.